0: Good morning. morning. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 27. You should be uh, receiving a map pretty shortly here because we're going to cover a lot of uh, territory literally this morning in uh, Paul's wonderful sea adventure. all the rustling has stopped here okay we, somebody doesn't have a map oh there's a hand okay now now that you've got your map you can put it away for the moment and eyes up here uh we're gonna look at the map in a minute uh we're gonna talk this morning you've noticed we've had these uh historical sections and often it seems to be just a bunch of events and it's not clear what the theme is and yet the lord has been faithful each week in bringing out a new theme well this week the theme is going to be faith Now, when I say that word, faith, I wonder what you think. Uh, It's a misunderstood word, I'll tell you that, what real faith is, biblical faith. You ask uh, a person what they think uh, the word faith means, and it's sort of like, you know, you close your eyes and uh, step forward and you hope something's going to be there to catch you. Blind faith. Or people will use it in an expression like, yeah, I have faith that things are going to turn out all right. You ever heard that before? Now, it's okay for a person who doesn't know the Lord to say that, but for a Christian to say that, uh, it could be problematic. It depends on why they're saying that. Why do I say that? Because too often people are basing it on their feelings. They just kind of have this feeling that everything's going to be okay, you know that's not faith (laughs) in fact uh, if we were to live our lives based on feelings it would be a pretty up and down life a lot of people do that you know okay faith is let me say what it is faith is it's real simple believing god at his word okay this book is inseparable from faith you can't have one without the other okay so faith is simply believing God. It's real simple. I could tell you something that may sound improbable, but if you believed me, then that would be having faith in me. So biblical faith is simply God says something and quite often, if not usually, is contrary to what we might feel or what the world might tell us or our flesh or our friends might tell us. But if God says it, it's true. And faith is simply saying, God, in spite of all the other sources of input that tell me to the contrary, you say the opposite, and so I'm going to believe you and act on that. Do you understand? You follow that? That's faith. It's not a sort of leap in the dark or jumping off a cliff. It has the most solid foundation in the world, the Word of God. And we're going to see that uh, come out in our passage here this morning. It's a very... Uh, important subject in the life of the christian because for example in uh, second corinthians we are told that we are to walk by faith notice not by what isn't that interesting you see their opposites what we see what we perceive around us uh base decisions on if we just go by what we see with our eyes it's going to be wrong because God is typically going to tell us something completely different. And so we walk by faith, believing what God says. For example, I can tell you with confidence, based on the word of God right now, most people are going to go to hell. It's a place of torment, and it's forever. Now, how how do I know that? I'm telling you that by faith. How do I know it? This book, this book says it. Now, I believe that. I believed it first for myself that's why I fled to Christ for refuge and but what you go outside in your everyday life and you see people around you do people typically believe that no they don't in fact so right there you've got a choice the majority the scientists the experts would say that's a bunch of hooey that's a Christian myth but God says in his word the opposite so right away, I find myself in the minority if I believe what God says about that. Well, get used to it, okay? <laughs> that's just the way it is. I love the statement in Romans that says, uh, let, every man, uh, let God be found true, but every man a liar. In other words, if everybody in the world got together and said, blah, X, and God says, no, it's the other way, then that means everybody else is a liar and God is true. God is right. So that's faith. It's based on the word of God. You cannot have faith without this. You may say I have faith about something, but unless it's anchored in here, it's just wishful thinking. Okay. We've seen it throughout the book of Acts, but it really comes uh, out in this story here about the storm. Um, We've seen it in uh, Paul already. We've seen it in Stephen. We've seen it in all the saints. And you see it in in the Gospels. Um, I've mentioned many times, one of my favorite illustrations of faith and the connection with the word of God is Peter walking on the water. People often miss, they think that somehow Peter just kind of, you know, worked up the feeling that I can walk on water now. Jesus is here, you know, and before he loses it, he steps out of the boat and walks on the water. That's not how it happened. If you remember, he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus said, one word, come. There it is. That's it. There is the basis for faith right there. The word of Jesus, come. That's what Peter stepped out on, not his own kind of wishful thinking. It was the word of God. Jesus said, come. Peter stepped out, and as if he was walking on that word. Now, he began to sink because he got his eyes off of the word and onto the water, if you remember. Okay, so that for us, faith can kind of, get strong and weak you ever experience that believers i do jesus uh prayed for peter later if you remember peter's a wonderful illustration of faith he was so up and down you remember in uh matthew 16 jesus asked who do men say that i am and and peter made that wonderful statement thou art the christ the son of the living god wow and jesus said peter you're blessed six verses later the same peter when jesus said i'm going to go to jerusalem and i'm going to be killed peter said lord this will never happen to you and uh, jesus turned to peter and said get behind me satan <laughs> one minute he's up on the top of the mountain and the next he's down he's, his faith is gone why, why do i say his faith is uh, is gone because jesus had just said something and what's faith Believing in god Okay, Jesus said he was going to die. What did Peter say? He said no. Did he believe Jesus then? No, he didn't. He was arguing with him. He was correcting him. (laughs) The faith was gone. Jesus, Jesus said, come. Peter did it. Now Jesus says, I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, Lord, you're wrong. His faith is gone. He knows better. And it's no wonder Jesus rebuked him so strongly. But what's interesting to me is, Later, Jesus said to Peter, He said, You know, Peter, Satan has requested, uh, made a request. He's asked that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, listen to what he prayed, that your faith will not fail. Isn't that interesting? Because he knew Peter, you see. And the neat thing is, when Jesus prays, by the way, they're always answered. And so he went on to speak as if he'd already prayed and been answered, because he says. And when you return, strengthen your brethren. Isn't that good? I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you return, in other words, it won't. Because I'm praying for you. Strengthen your brethren. Faith. It's always based on the Word of God. And we could go on and on. I said that you cannot have one without the other. Well, it's clear I've said that you can't have faith without the Bible. The other thing is, God only gave us the Bible so that we would have faith. Did you know that? He gave us the Bible for one reason, to believe it. That's it. So they're they're inseparable. What did John say when he finished his uh, a gospel? He said, these things I have written that you might what? Believe. That's faith, you see. I didn't write these to entertain you. I didn't write these things about Jesus so that you could go, uh, you know, give your children a good bedtime story. I wrote these things so that you might believe them, and that believing you might what? Have eternal life. Ah. So, faith and the Bible are inseparable, or faith and the Word of God. Now, we're going to see in this passage, Paul has the extra experience that we typically don't have. He had the direct Word of God. Jesus spoke to him. Okay. Now, there may be somebody here who has claimed to have had that experience, but I highly doubt it because God has spoken here. But nevertheless, it's still faith when God spoke to Paul, either directly or through an angel. Okay, and then finally, the the other thing about faith is um, we can say we have faith, but that doesn't prove anything. In other words, if we say we believe God, but we don't do anything about it, there's a sneaking suspicion that we don't believe god for example peter asked jesus uh if it's you bid me come to you and jesus said come now paul could have sat there you know in the boat and said uh oh that's great lord you know i really believe i could walk out to you and he sat there does peter really believe jesus what do you think <laughs> no He proved it by getting up and stepping out onto that water and not sinking. That's how we know Jesus believed, uh, Peter believed Jesus. If he'd stayed in the boat, we all would have been highly skeptical. And it's right, God says that. In the book of James, he says, You show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my my faith by my works. That's how you know somebody believes, really believes. You want to know what somebody believes? Anybody in this room? Anybody you know? You want to know what they really believe? Don't listen to what they tell you they believe just look at their life that's where the rubber meets the road it's what i do with my life and if i say one thing but i'm living something else okay forget what i say okay (laughs) jesus said that you know by their fruits you will know them okay is that hopeful faith that's faith and we're going to be seeing it in action here in our passage let's begin now in uh, acts chapter 27 We'll read the first chunk here, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Zidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. There you go. For you saints who ever wondered where Fair Haven got their name, by the way, there. (laughs) That's it. Um, Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there. Also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, and that's not Arizona, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. We'll pause there. All right, you saw a lot of geographical names fly by there, and you can take your map out. This is really an interesting. uh voyages we're going to see so you you got your map here and we know that paul is beginning in caesarea right on the right there remember he's been a prisoner there now for two years in a roman prison chained to a guard 24 hours a day different guard every eight hours now he's appealed to caesar remember and so he's going to be sent to rome rome just for reference way over on the other side right We're talking, oh, 800 miles or so. It's a long way, long, long way, particularly for those days. So we saw here in our passage that they got in a ship from Adramidium. Don't worry about where that is because they never get there anyway. Adramidium is actually up here north of Pergamon on the uh, Turkish coast. Okay, They're not going to take it all the way up to its home port because that's the wrong direction. What they did in those days, it was kind of like uh, getting a transfer for a bus. You'd, you'd take a ship as far as it went where you were going, and then when it started going another way, you'd get off and catch another ship. And that's what they're going to do, okay? Because this ship is not going to Rome. So, we saw they landed at Sidon. You see that up north of uh, Caesarea. Stayed there uh, a little while. The centurion was very kind and let Paul's friends come and, and take care of him. No doubt it was great to be out of the prison, huh? You know, he'd he'd been seeing his friends, but it was uh, nice to see the countryside again, no doubt. He's still chained to a guard, though. Okay, then they uh, went from there, and it says in verse 4, they sailed under the shelter of Cyprus. You see Cyprus, the island here in the corner of the Mediterranean? Notice they went up around it. It's in the narrow channel, well, narrow, it's uh, many miles wide, but the, the sea tends to be a little calmer in the channel there between Cyprus and Turkey than it is out here in the open sea. That's what they mean by that. So far, so good. You know, it's a pretty typical journey. We're talking uh, August, September here. So it's nice balmy weather, you know, moderate winds. Uh, it says they went off Cilicia and Pamphylia. We came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There's Myra on the coast, right? You following it? And uh, that's where they switched ships. The centurion's a sharp guy. This ship is going to go around the corner and head up, as I said, up toward Thrace. They don't want to go that way. So he's looking for an opportunity to get off this ship and find one that's going to Rome. And he finds one at Myra. So they get off that and they get onto an Alexandrian ship. Alexandria is down in Egypt, by the way. And uh, now it starts to get a little tough. It says, uh, we arrive with difficulty off Sinaitis. You see Sinaitis on the very corner there of, of Turkey? Now, it's going to get tougher out there because you don't have the shelter of the land. The winds are going to start coming from the north and northeast here as, as the winter starts approaching, and they get to be pretty strong winds. So when they start getting out this open sea here below the Aegean, it's going to start getting a little choppy. Okay? So uh, it says, the wind not permitting us to proceed, so it was getting pretty bad. We sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmonate. So now, instead of going straight across to Achaia, which would have been easier, the winds are so strong, they had to kind of head a little south here and, and sail under the shelter of Crete. Again, the winds have come from the north, so the island kind of protects you from the wind. Our naval authority is nodding his head over here, by the way. Uh, during World War II, um, many of you, particularly old-timers like me, know that uh, Churchill and uh, Roosevelt corresponded a lot. And uh, Churchill used to be the... Uh, um admiral the the uh, Lord of the admiralty that's that's the Navy in, in England before he was prime minister, and so he always signed his letters to Churchill, former naval person, okay, which is kind of cute. Well, we have one in our midst here. his name is Matt Clark he's a former naval person, and we had him over the other night and I confirmed my my stuff here with him. I don't know all this stuff if had been for Matt's help and a book that I uh, read on the subject because we're going to start talking about tacking. To the starboard in a minute okay but don't be impressed like i said i didn't know this stuff before okay so the the point is they want to stay under the shelter of land as long as they can you can see by the way uh you see that big long jump from crete over to sicily italy and so on you got this big span here right that's the tough part because you're out in the open sea and there's no easy way to get through there so it's going to be a race and in fact the bad weather's coming in and so they've already decided we're not going to risk that big long stretch because ships were not as well built as they are today in those days. And lots of people died. They drowned. Ships came apart. So they're going to have to winter somewhere on Crete. So that's why it, uh, they got to Fairhavens, but it's not a good place for wintering over. You've got to stay there three or four months until the wind uh, weather improves. So the satyrs uh, and the other guys all got together and said, now there's another place down the island. There it is. You see Phoenix? okay that's where they're headed they're at fair havens they've been there a while they realize now they're not going to be able to do any more sailing uh for the season because winter is approaching and so they're going to go to phoenix because that is a better harbor okay that's the idea sounds simple enough uh but it's about 30 miles or so but now the problems begin because they're not going to make it to phoenix uh, just a few notes about what we've seen here, by the way. You'll notice in verse 1 it says, We, de- we decided. It was decided that we should sail to Italy. That's a little clue. It says Luke is, is in the company now. Okay, did you pick that up? We. Uh, this fellow Aristarchus in verse 2 is actually apparently a believer and a fellow prisoner because Paul says that in Colossians 4.10. We don't know why, but uh, he's a Christian who's also being sent to Rome. Now, Verse 10, uh, if you're real sharp, you might have picked up on this. Here's what Paul said. "Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Now, think about it. Can can Paul die on this voyage? Why not? That's exactly right. Now, we're back to the issue of faith. Jesus personally had appeared to Paul, remember, when he was in? uh jerusalem and said not only have you witnessed for me here in jerusalem but you're going to witness for me in rome there's that faith thing jesus said it paul can go to the bank on that he knows therefore he is going to get to rome okay now you may be saying well why did he say us then because paul knows he's not going to drown no matter what happens everybody else could drown he might hang on to a sail and float we don't know what but he knows he's not going to die So why does he say us? It's because Paul uh, is not going to launch you into a lecture of saying, okay, I've got a a vision from God. Everybody's going to die but me. And the reason I'm not going to die is because Jesus talked to me, and so he's going to do something. Okay, it's just a lot easier to explain there's a terrible thing up ahead here. The ship's going to wreck, and people are going to die. Now, it's interesting that did you notice by the way it says verse 11 nevertheless the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the thing spoken by paul can you blame him huh who are you going to listen to a tent maker or a guy who sails a ship and the guy that owns a shipping company obviously at this point yeah don't don't blame the guy okay here's his landlubber you know saying, ah, we're going to perish, you know, the ship's going to uh, sink. But it's it's a reference point. God knows that. And it's going to be useful later when the ship really does start to sink. Okay, they're going to look back and they're going to say, hey, this guy Paul predicted this would happen. But the point is, Paul is already exhibiting his faith. Now, it's always good in a passage to look for uh, illustrations. Here's a wonderful illustration right here of you and me brother and sister in this world because here they are it's sunny out winds nice you know no problems on the horizon and here's Paul this doomsayer telling people it look may look okay right now but there's a big problem coming you guys are gonna die and he's the only one saying it (laughs) in fact uh, the people listening go to the experts and the experts say nah he doesn't know what he's talking about well that's you and me right now in the world okay don't be afraid to speak up and talk to people about their souls and warn them of the judgment to come because you and i are the only ones that know it by believing god's word and people can go to the experts and the experts experts will say oh, that's, a, that's a myth you know that's a bunch of baloney let's be like paul Okay, let's speak up. And it's up to the people whether they believe you uh, and believe God through you or believe the experts. Okay, Uh, so like I said, it's about a 30, 35 mile trip along the coast. Sounds harmless, should be easy. In fact, they get to sail all along the coast of Crete there. Just hug the coast, no problem. Verse uh, 13, let's start reading there. When the south wind blew softly, isn't that nice? Nice little gentle south wind. That's the kind of wind you want now. It keeps you up along the coast there, okay? Um, supposing that they had obtained their desire, looks good. Putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euryclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive, and running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Surtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Okay, when we leave the the, uh, passage, now we're going to pause there. That last section we read, they're out here somewhere in the Mediterranean, the open sea, and they don't know where they are at this point okay, because they've lost sight of the sun and the stars, all heavenly objects, and uh, I wish we could just be transported onto a sailboat in a storm right now so we could get a sense of what these people were going through, because many people have said there is no more fearful thing than to be on a sailing ship in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the sea, uh, and you don't know where you're going, if you're going to die or what, because that's that's what's going on here. It, It is really scary. It's interesting to me, by the way, if you notice, Luke writes here in uh, verse 20. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. He changed his writing style here. Up until now, he's been saying so-and-so did this, so-and-so said that. Here, it's kind of in the uh, editorial, all hope was given up. And as I read this, I thought, you know, I have a feeling Luke is making a confession here. I think he's one of the guys that gave up hope, and you couldn't blame him. Although Paul certainly probably would have told him the promise from the Lord. Let me tell you, you're in a little ship like this, although there are 300 people. It's not a tiny little boat, okay? But compared to the raging sea and the waves, this is a little boat. And uh, it's no wonder that probably even Luke himself was beginning to lose heart. Uh Okay, now just a few uh, explanatory things here. So the, the point is now, this is what's called a nor'easter. And it, you've heard that before, right? We get them here in the United States, particularly back on the East Coast. A nor'easter is a horrible uh, raging storm that comes in from the Northeast and the fishing boats get sunk all the time back in uh, Massachusetts and Maine and, and back in that area. Uh, they're terrible storms. Well, they have them here in the Mediterranean too. And that's what they're experiencing now. They're out in the open sea. So it's gonna be at its worst. It's a, it's a terrible thing. one of the things they say here is we undergirded the ship what that means is the ship is coming apart the ship is made of planks right just pieces of wood that are attached side by side to the braces right you following me well if you just nailed some pieces of wood next to each other and put that thing in the water with nothing else what's going to happen some of the guys are nodding come on what is it it's going to sink right the wood shrinks or even if it swells, you're still going to have gaps in between the wood and the water's going to get in. And so uh, even in those days, they got something called oakum. It's kind of a real fibrous uh, thing and they would mix it with pitch and they would hammer it in the cracks between the wood. Well, the problem is when you get in a storm like this, the the ship is being bent and twisted and what happens is that stuffing comes out. And so no longer is it just having the ship in the water. Now you have the water in the ship. And that's the situation you do not want. And they would have pumps. And I'll promise you, they they broke out every pump. And they're they're just pumping away 24 hours a day, trying to make the water go out at least as fast as it's coming in. Because if they don't, they're dead. And you could imagine at nighttime, you know, they couldn't hold a light. The light would, would be blown out. Just being thrown every which way, you know, waves higher than the ship, up and down. Can you imagine how sick the passengers must be? It's a horrible scene. On top of that, they have a load of wheat, we find out later. So there's a big weight down inside the ship. So you put all that together and and the boards start doing this number, okay? And the stuffing comes out and the water gets in. And it's no wonder that Luke says that uh, hope was given up uh as far as uh being saved, and and that's now you can imagine that's why it's, when it says they undergirded the ship they actually run ropes all the way around the ship typically some guy get hold of the rope he'd have it tied to him or something and he'd swim under the ship yeah, can you imagine coming and they come up the other side hopefully you know and then they would take the rope from him and they bring it up and then they they would uh you know run through some tightening mechanism up on the ship and they do that a number of times Basically, they're trying to hold the ship together, okay, make it a little more watertight. When it, they talked about the skiff here, that's just a little outside boat that they would typically tow behind them for rowing back and forth to the shore. And this thing is probably close to sinking. So they had to go through the, the struggle of bringing that thing up on board and tying that thing down, too, in the middle of all this. Okay, so now we're out here somewhere past Crete uh, in the Mediterranean, hopefully heading in the right direction and that's the last this is the last nautical lesson you're going to have for this morning okay and again we have a mr clark to thank for this because you notice uh this the guy that did this map did a good job because he draws pretty much a straight line from crete to malta right yes you see that okay now the wind is from the northeast and so if you did like me when you first see this map you say wait a minute if the wind's from here why don't they go this way right at least that's what i thought. you always picture a, a ship you know with sails and whoosh, the wind blows from behind and there are the sails and it goes that way with the wind well that was the case you'd never get anywhere think about it Sailors have to know how to get over here even though the wind's blowing this way and i didn't realize this but it's called that's what tacking is they actually point the bo- uh, boat north if it's from the northeast, Andy's nodding his head. He's done this before out in the bay. And you uh, align the sails, and it's really cool. If you do that and you arrange the sails right, when the wind is blowing this way, you'll actually go this way. So these sailors knew what they were doing, okay? And so they knew the wind's coming from here. They know that if they point the ship this way, turn the sails the right way, they will eventually get over here somewhere, hopefully hitting Italy or Sicily or Malta or something, Okay? So that makes a lot of sense. That's what the sailors would have done. If you notice, they were afraid of running down here. See the Surtis Sands down here off the coast of Africa? Did, did you catch that? They said they were afraid of running into that. Well, that's the way the wind's blowing. And even to this day, it's off the coast of Libya. The uh, The sand is really shallow for miles off the coast, and there's quicksand in there. And it was famous for eating up ships and sailors because they get in there the, the ship would uh, break up you know maybe it's 20 30 feet deep and in a storm you're not going to swim your way out of there and the guys would drown so they are really afraid of getting swept down into the Surtis Sands. so point your bo- boat north arrange the sails and the last thing is you you pray and hope that the wind keeps coming from this way because if it shifts you're dead you have no idea where you are then at that point but god was faithful of course and kept it coming from the northeast Okay, uh, now let's get back to verse 21. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying... Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Uh, We'll go ahead and finish the uh, section here. Now, when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the Satyrs sensed that they were drawing near some land. They're getting near Malta now. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. When they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. That's not good. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the satyrs were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves and in all we were 276 persons on the ship so when they had eaten enough they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea okay uh, so we're getting right next to malta now and it looks like a little dot on your map but it's a pretty good sized island and the point is it says the satyrs sensed that they were getting near land it's a wonderful thing sailors they're at sea so long they can learn just by smells if they're getting near land for example you you get used to just smelling the salt air all this time all of a sudden you get near land and you smell all kind of wonderful things you know some lady cooking hamburgers on her grill or something you know no really they know they have this sense they know when they're near land in this case it was probably a worse indicator than that they heard waves crashing on rocks okay they didn't see them but they can hear that a long way away and you're dead if you if this little ship were to run on the rocks they've had it so they're really fearful now uh, good news is they're near land but the bad news is they have no idea what the harbor looks like or where the rocks are or, or where they're going to go or anything so uh, paul speaks up here and, and in verse 21 uh, when he says men you should have listened to me and not said," so he's not saying i told you so what the reason he's bringing that up is so that now when he instructs them on what's going to happen next, they'll remember he told the truth the first time. He was right. So maybe he's right this time. That's why he's doing that. And God is so faithful. God really, he could have just stuck with the appearance of Jesus, and that would have been it. But he sent an angel, and the angel plainly told him, you are going to go before Caesar, which is reiterating what Jesus had said. But he adds, isn't it interesting how he says it? He says, uh, and indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Isn't that neat? In other words, God was going to spare you. We know that. But as an added deal, he's going to save everybody else along with it because of you. And he tells them this very important. Here's his faith, by the way. Verse 25, therefore, take heart, man, for I believe God. Faith. God said something. Paul believed it. And he's going to act on the basis of that. And so now what's going to happen? It's really wonderful. Paul, because of his faith, look, he's still in the middle of this ship and everybody is still terrified they're going to die. Paul is going to be such a standout. God said, you're going to be okay. And so he's walking around like, you know, okay, well, it's just a matter of time. We're going to get on land and everything's going to be fine. He's calm and he's encouraging everyone. The guy really stands out simply because of his faith. And the people see that. You saw how they were encouraged, for example. You can just picture Paul, you know, with the the rain just pouring and the ship going like this and the waves dashing over the thing, you know. And Paul's just standing there, he breaks bread and he raises his eyes to heaven to give thanks for it. Give thanks. Isn't that great? Man. The other thing is, um, God really shows a man of faith rises above even the authorities of the world. Do you notice that? We saw it with the governor. We saw it with the king. Those guys were all mixed up. They didn't know what to do. Paul speaks out with a clear voice about God, about sin, about repentance, about salvation. Remember that? And they can't even decide what to do with them. Well, here you've got a centurion and all the soldiers, and you've got these experienced sailors as well. And he is basically telling these guys what to do. Isn't that cool? In fact, did you notice the sailors were going to sneak off? Did you catch that? You saw that? They had dropped four anchors in the back of the boat to hold it still until morning would come and they could see where to go for the land. And so they said, uh, <clears throat> you know, it would be a good idea if we dropped anchors off the front too. They weren't going to drop any anchors. They were dropping the skiff, the boat. <laughs> and they were going to get into it and abandon these guys. Which, by the way, is stupid and suicidal in itself. It's nighttime with these rocks. These guys would most likely die. And so Paul it's amazing nobody perceived this but Paul and he goes to the centurion he tells him what these guys are doing and it'd be great to see it these guys go over with their swords while they're lowering the skiff and whack they cut the ropes on that skiff and you, you just see that skiff go floating off and the poor sailors you know they're stuck it's wonderful Paul is basically in command both of the soldiers and the sailors now because of his faith you see He's hanging on to God. And slowly people begin to hang on to Paul here. Okay, so here they are. They're off of Malta, waiting for uh, the day to break. And verse 39, it finally comes. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes. And they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. That last word, uh, unless you've been on the ship, you really cannot appreciate what a wonderful word that is, land. How, how good it must have been for them all to finally stand on something that didn't move, huh? And it was because, of course, that God was uh, watching over them in, in Paul's example of faith. Uh, just a few remarks and we'll close here but uh you notice the soldiers were going to kill the prisoners that's should remind us of the philippian J to remember who was going to kill himself when soldiers escape it's either their lives or yours is the guard and so these guys don't want to die better the prisoners and so they're going to kill them but what's interesting is the centurion intervenes they normally should have done that and he stops them because of paul put yourself in the centurion's shoes he's beginning to see this paul is not your ordinary guy you see so far it's happened exactly the way he said it would and so because paul predicted the sinking and then he predicted their being saved he predicted uh, the grounding on the island he detected the sailors sneaking away he has an obvious something about him and the captain sees that and wants wants to keep him alive well there's something of course is faith he, he believes god at his word all right well uh we'd like to get paul to rome but we've run out of time we'll pick that up in a couple of weeks when we finish off the book of acts but uh when we finish up with this word faith i want to talk about the last great example of faith and this may surprise you you know the greatest example of faith is jesus i tell people that and they get surprised jesus faith wait a minute jesus didn't have to have faith he's god (laughs) <laughs> well you don't have to take my word for it god says so we're so familiar with hebrews 11 and 12 hebrews chapter 11 we have that list of old testament saints right by faith so and so did such and such well chapter 12 is not starting a new thought when it says looking unto jesus the author and finisher and it says our faith that's an italics our the author and finisher of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God. He is the ultimate example of faith. How? Because we said earlier, faith is believing God at His Word in spite of what all my other senses tell me. Right? Did Jesus do that? Think about it. That's what it says. He endured the cross. Imagine Jesus on the cross. We cannot begin to comprehend the suffering He was going through. All of His senses particularly his nerves were saying this is not a good thing it wasn't easy it was not pleasant it wasn't fun it was horrible what the lord jesus endured on the cross all the signals were saying no stop but he had one uh other signal contradicting all of them and that was the command from his father to give up his life for us and that was the one signal that he hung on to the one the word of god by faith he hung on to that and ignored all the other horrible input he was getting and he stayed on the cross praise god and he didn't come down and he stayed there completely until he could say it was finished faith you see by faith he endured the cross despised the shame that's the other negative thing all the mockers and the spitting that was going on while he was there he ignored that too it says all these other negative signals, he blotted them all out except for his lifeline with his father and what his father had commanded him. That's it. And so he says, in light of all of that, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus as our example, let us lay aside the weight that so easily uh, entangles and lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, live by faith. Like Paul like Jesus there's such a temptation in this world and I admit it we have uh, input from every other source that contradicts the Word of God and it's such a temptation to listen to those uh, censors and live according to that like people in the world but we've got another source of information and it's a correct one you see and this is the one we have to keep focusing on and hanging on to and living by by believing this in spite of what your flesh what your friends what the world may tell you okay so let's put on our faith spectacles and live like that let's pray father we thank you for your word where would we be without it and as we think of paul here and supremely about the lord jesus we're challenged Lord in our own lives too often we have to confess we walk by sight so we ask for your help Lord we want to honor you we want to glorify you Lord we want to stand out we want to be different we're surrounded by blind people and we alone can see through your word so we just ask for your help Lord that we might uh, as you enjoin us to walk by faith believing you at your word and not by sight we ask it in Jesus precious name amen